15. All right. Good morning to those in the West and good afternoon to those in the East. It's Gary Morris from uh, this series podcast, the Level Up series. Listen, I am absolutely delighted here to have an amazing guest, a, a guest that um, represents uh, the Terry Fox Foundation and the Terry Fox Research Institute uh, for many, many years. He is the brother to someone we all know very well as proud Canadians, uh, Terry Fox. Uh, Daryl Fox is with me today, and we're going to talk about um, everything uh, regarding the uh, Marathon of Hope, the uh, different foundations, the research institutes. And we're going to get just sort of a uh, look back on where this journey began uh, so many years ago and the impact and changes that it's had on, on so many lives along the way. As a Port Coquitlam resident, uh, still to this day, I grew up in the hometown of, of Terry Fox. And to say this individual, to call me a Fox fan, uh, would be an understatement. To say this in, this individual had an impact on my life uh, would be an understatement. Uh, he has throughout North America, uh, especially in Canada. So before I jump in with uh, Daryl today, I want to quickly read his bio. Daryl Fox is the younger brother of Terry Fox, for whom the Terry Fox Foundation and the Terry Fox Research Institute are named. In 1980, at the age of 17, Daryl joined Terry and Terry's best friend, Doug Allward, on his Marathon of Hope journey that started in St. John's, New Brunswick. As Terry's younger brother, Daryl, uh, has had a long history of involvement with the legacy founded by Terry. In 1990, Daryl became the, the provincial director for the Terry Fox Foundation in British Columbia. In 1994, he moved to the National Office in Toronto, Ontario, where he served two years as the Assistant National Director and the National Director of the Terry Fox Foundation from January 1996 until June 2009. To date, and this is astounding, the foundation has raised over $850 million, almost a billion dollars for cancer research worldwide. Today, Daryl serves as the Terry Fox Research Institute's board of directors, on the board of directors, and is a senior advisor to the Institute. He's a holder of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. Daryl continues to be involved in projects and activities related to Terry Fox and his legacy. Daryl, good morning. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Gary. If I'd known that I'd be looking at images of myself in short shorts and, and long hair, I probably would have passed. But uh, yeah. but uh, great to be here, nonetheless. Yeah, I, I got I, I to gotta tell you, boy, those images, they uh, there's a lot of stories uh, to be told in those images. You were also young back then. Absolutely just, just incredible. Gary, are you I, suggesting I'm not young anymore? Yeah, you are, are you no, actually, I was quite surprised when we were chatting before the show, actually, how <laughs> youthful and exuberant you actually still really are all these years later. But... Uh, you know, nonetheless, it's uh, it's great to have you. We're 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 delighted. I I want to maybe just uh, before we start talking about uh, Terry, uh, the run, the journey, and all the lessons that we can learn uh, along the way. I want to quickly maybe just get you to explain to us the difference between the Terry Fox Foundation and the Terry Fox Research Institute, so everyone, as we work through this today, has a broad understanding of how they work together. Sure. Um, well, the, the, the Terry Fox Foundation has existed since 1988. In fact, uh, uh, prior to 1988, there were obviously Terry Fox runs. Terry passed away in 1981, and there was a, a run in September of that year. Uh, but uh, during the first seven years of the annual Terry Fox run, we were aligned with the Canadian Cancer Society. 
Um, those involved with the with the run at that time, and obviously Mum played a, a, a very pivotal role. Mr. Sharp, president of Four Seasons Hotel, was also very active. Saw that there was potential for for growth, and uh, they felt that it was necessary to become independent. So the Terry Fox Foundation was uh, created in 1988, and um, that first year as an independent identity. Uh, revenue almost doubled. So um, I think it was a wise move. Um, and the run continued to to grow over the years as as well, to a point where um, um, we get to the, the, um, the 2000s um, and the 2005 Terry Fox run, which was the 25th anniversary. And um, the foundation raised um, close to 50 million, almost doubling what they had raised the previous year. Wow. And um, what we've always done when we've been in this position where we had resources, we've always gone to the research community to, to, to look at potential opportunities. And one of the things that they suggested was that the, we were at a point now where we could actually create our, no, our own institute. So the Terry Fox Research Institute was created in 2007. So the foundation is, is responsible for fundraising, the Terry Fox Research Institute is responsible for allocating dollars raised by the foundation to research projects uh, across the country. Um, so um, it's been quite a legacy. Um, we've been fortunate with the Terry Fox Research Institute to recently receive, I say recently, but it's actually almost been two years, but this is the process that it takes when you're, when you're going and dealing <coughs> with government. We've received um, $150 million from the federal government to launch the Marathon of Hope Cancer Center network. And the focus will be on precision medicine. Uh, so that's really exciting, but it's also a challenge because along with having to this additional funding that we will receive over the next five years, the foundation has to raise along with our partners, a match of $150 million as well. So um, we're not shy of challenges around here and we look forward to that opportunity over the next five years. Yeah, good for you guys. Congratulations on all that uh, amazing work. Um, I'd like to go back to uh, the early days and talk about uh, Terry as a, as a kid before he got sick. And, you know, obviously I've been in Poco and have heard and, and know a little bit about the family. Obviously, uh, there was four siblings, um, you know, mom and dad, all very uh, athletic, uh, rambunctious family. Um, you know, maybe tell us sort of what those early years were like and, uh, and what Terry was like as, uh, you know, as a teenager. Yeah, well, you know, it, we always we always want to start there and and share the story of Terry. Um, and, and the reality is that he was just an average kid. I mean, I know that surprises people in light of what he ended up accomplishing, but he was average in in every way. He was an average student. He was an average athlete. Um, nothing came easy for Terry. But one thing that he had, and he had an abundance of, was was determination. I never give up attitude, which I think we all have as, as Fox family members, but Terry seemed to have a monopoly on it. Um, <laughs> to give you an example of his determination, uh, Terry tried out for the grade eight basketball team. And we talked earlier, Gary, about his coach at the time, Bob McGill. Um, well, after the first practice, Coach McGill came up to Terry and said, Terry, give it up. <laughs> you will never <laughs> make it. I think he said. <laughs> yeah. Try wrestling because you will never. You're you're uncoordinated. You're too short. Um, yeah, wrestling should, is is your sport. Well, Terry took that as a challenge, and and McGill knew a little bit about Terry, and Terry and felt that Terry would respond to a challenge, and that's exactly what Terry did. He was going to prove to Coach McGill um, that he could play the game. So the next morning, and for every day thereafter, that's all Terry did was practice. 
He practiced and he practiced and he made the team. And Gary learned a very valuable lesson during that period that, you know, do not believe what other people think and say about you, but believe in yourself and you're capable of incredible things. Uh, so that was a very pivotal moment in Terry's life back in Poco. Well, if I look back on uh, on that, and I know, I know a little bit about that story because Bob McGill, when I got to that high school, that same high school, he was actually principal, right? And uh, I spent lots of time in the principal's office because I was also <laughs> one of those kids that was very average, and you know, my my everything, you know, nothing was easy for me, and you know, so I would act out and uh, end up there. So I got to know Bob fairly well. I still see him at the golf course here occasionally out at uh, Pitt Meadows, but it's interesting because what you said, and it's it's something that. Uh, Terry has said, and you built this entire campaign around it, but, you know, one of the quotes that Terry said, very, very young, that has just traveled worldwide now is anything's possible if you try. And I think Terry, you know, his most famous words, in my opinion, were just try if you try. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts around that. Well, I, I believe in those words and I've tried to adhere to, to, to those words all my life as well. I mean, um, um, I, my, uh, my feeling is limitations are self-imposed. Like we are all capable of doing incredible things. Um, the only thing that prevents us is ourselves. And that's what Terry learned. He learned that from that, that ex, you know, his experience uh, growing up and the basketball experience, he would look around at his peers and um, he knew he wasn't as talented or as smart as those around him, but he was successful because of one thing, and that was this never give up attitude. And he, he always tried harder, he tried, he tried, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, so that's something that uh, is very is very much a part of our, our messaging has been there. But I, I mean, I, I wish I could have thought of this, but it, it's just so cool that the word try is in Terry's name. I mean, yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, it's, it's, when did somebody it's, figure that out? Was that figured out in the early days or much later? Much later, Gary. It's, it's just it's recent, and I feel like I feel a little disappointed that I didn't come up with that idea. So, kudos to the person that did. But it's yeah. it's brilliant, and it just fits so well with with who we are and what who Terry was. Yeah. So you go back to those days, and uh, he was up every morning and every afternoon, and he was shooting hoops and trying to become better. And his buddy uh, Doug would would you know just pound him in every game of you know one on one or twenty one or whatever they were playing. He got better and got better and got better. And uh, Miguel had this uh, this thing, and he had even when I was there, he never cut a single player, but he made it very clear you could be on the team, but you wouldn't play. He started the top twelve players, and then by Terry's uh, junior year in high school, grade eleven, he actually was on the senior team and was one of those 12 players. And he went from the worst kid on the team probably, or maybe not the worst kid, but someone who didn't have any natural talent to speak of. And he tried so damn hard that uh, he made the uh, the starting team. Amazing. It is amazing. And you know, you're know you sharing the story, Gary, perfectly. You know, it, it's the story we share when we have a chance to speak to students is how, you know, he went from being the worst player to the best and all through effort and, and hard work. and. Uh, you know, he shared co-athlete of the year with 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 uh, Doug. Doug Allward. Doug Doug, uh, you know, was a, a, an accomplished runner, and and Terry through basketball, rugby, and and soccer. Um, so it was it was cool in light of what lay ahead for for the two young men that they would share that athlete in grade twelve. And how was the family? Was the family a regular uh, a regular regular family? Were you were you typical? You know, brothers and sisters that were you know sort of wrestling and fist fighting. Was it? Did everybody get along good? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my family. 
it was a, it was Gary's typical family like uh, you know there we we were we we were competitive um we were a competitive we were a competitive family nothing was given to us you know we had to to work uh to to have spending money um you know one of the the summer projects or jobs that we had was picking berries out uh, off of Prairie Avenue going to Emo's place and um i hated it i just despised it i had to i had to to ride my bike with 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 fred and terry and we we were allowed in because we were such good pickers that emo would let us in at seven o'clock in the morning when the berries were wet so they weighed more so you got more money but because we cleaned a, a tree a tree you know clean he he wanted us and he allowed us to do that I, you know, it would take all day to, to make $3.20. I despised it, but that's how I bought my next bike. Um, but that's how, those are the values that mom and dad um, shared with us is, you know, nothing's going to be given to you. You have to work hard. And I think obviously Terry took that to another level with the Marathon of Hope. Yeah. So uh, before we sort of jump into that, guys, uh, this book uh, recently came out, Forever Terry, uh, incredible book. It is short stories of uh, some amazing individuals from Daryl yourself and Michael Bublé and Bobby Orr and Tom Cochran and Doug Elward, who is Terry's best friend, and Daryl Sittler and, and 75 more, 80 more of really, really, really proud supporters of, uh, of Terry. Um, anyone who's making a comment on social media, a comment to us on the screen asking a question, we're going to ship you out a copy of this book. Same as we do every podcast, they're going to go out automatically, guys. So any questions or feedback or comments, Dave will stream them on the screen. We usually have a whole bunch going on the uh, the chat as well. So just wanted to remind everyone of that. So, uh, so Daryl, so um, that's good. He gets through high school and everything. He's, he's young. In 1977, I think he's 19 years old, and he gets uh, diagnosed with uh, cancer. Um, maybe just tell us about, uh, was there anything leading up to it? Did it happen very sudden? Was it a surprise? Was it, was it painful? What, 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 what happened to, to get us here? Well, um, just, you know, I think it's worth sharing that, um, you know, Terry, after graduating from, from high school, he went up to Simon Fraser university, he studied kinesiology his, his, his dream was to be a, a phys ed teacher. He also tried out for the JV basketball team up at SFU, um, no, there was no scholarship awarded to Terry. Um, there was no invitation at all. He was he was a walk on. He was uh, he showed up to the first practice uninvited and to try out for the JV team. Um, and and Alex Devlin, who was the coach of the JV team at the time, who I've spoken to a number of times since, who's also a Poco resident, has al always starts the conversation by telling me Terry was a pathetic basketball player. He really wasn't very good, but. But he overcame that with his, again, the drive and determination that uh, Devlin says after that first practice, you know, I knew that he would make my team. And it was during that first year of um, studying kinesiology and playing JV basketball that Terry discovered, you know, a pain in his, in his right uh, leg and specifically his knee. And because of his stubbornness, um, he decided he wasn't going to see a doctor right away. So there was something there for, for a few months. Um, his focus was finishing that first year of uh, JV basketball before having the inconvenience of having to go see a doctor. Well, that day never came because the pain got so bad that one morning when Terry tried to get out of bed and put weight on his right leg, he simply couldn't. Um, he knew at that point this wasn't a basketball injury anymore. There was something more seriously wrong. And it was later that same um, 
day, that evening, we were gathered in a private room, the family, when Terry was told he had osteogenic sarcoma. Um, and that um, and, and that his leg would have to be amputated in six days. And you can see it's still emotional because I, you know, it's it's 44 years ago, but it was yesterday to me. Because I, you know, I could see the impact it had, not so much on Terry, but, the, but also the rest of the family. We were all just overcome, crying our eyes out. But Terry looked around at all of us. Doug was in the room as well and realized, you know, at this point in his life that he had to be strong for the rest of his family. And when the first thing that Terry said was, you know, I've always had to try my best to accomplish what I have to the age of 18. I have no idea what cancer is. I'd never heard of the word, but I can promise you I'm going to do my best to beat this disease. And that's how Terry approached cancer from that day forward. You never, you never um, had a sense of what he was going through. Um, because he hit it so well, or he tried to hide it so well. When he, whenever he was in pain, we never saw it because he would hide <coughs> himself away in his his, uh, his bedroom. But we always recognized the the difficulty that he was going through from the stories he shared of others when when he went for chemotherapy treatments and he saw the suffering, and that had a, obviously a tremendous impact on Terry and the person he would evolve into. Um, yeah. And the family over the next, uh, you know, uh, obviously weeks and, and months, uh, I guess, just tried to bind together and bound together and support him and, and deal with it collectively. Uh, indeed, a very scary time. So so he goes, um, by the time he was diagnosed, uh, what period was it between the surgery where they amputated his leg? Yeah, so the so it was, you know, six six days later that they had the amputation and then following that, um, you know, like Terry actually thought, oh, yeah. okay, it's now be it's now behind me. You know, I can go on living a uh as normal life as possible as a as a above knee amputee, but really that's not what cancer's all about. And and it was really the sixteen months of going through chemotherapy and seeing the suffering of others that had such a tremendous impact on on Terry. Um and he 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 made a promise that if he ever um, survived and, and made it through the chemotherapy treatments that he would never forget those that he had left behind. And it was actually another former basketball coach, um, you know, Terry Fleming, who coached uh, mm -hmm. uh, at Poco High, which is now Terry Fox Sr., um, who was going to see Terry the night before his, his surgery and his, and his amputation. And, and Terry was wondering, what, Terry Fleming was wondering, what, what, am I, what can I do? What can I offer Terry? you know, tomorrow he's going to have this um, surgery that's going to change his life forever. And so he brought uh, um, uh, Terry uh, a copy of uh, um, a Runner's World magazine. Um, and on the cover of that Runner's World magazine was Dick Trom. And Dick Trom was an American, an above-knee amputee, and he had just finished running the New York City Marathon. And Terry said, well, simply, if this guy can run, you know, 26 miles on artificial leg, I need a goal. I need something to strive for. So that's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and run. So Terry now had had a reason and, and something to look forward to, a goal. But it was really the cancer that gave him the purpose. You know, he when he saw the suffering of others, he he vowed again to to do something to try and help them. So that's when he put the idea of this idea, this idea of running with the idea of raising money. Um, and so the Marathon of Hope idea was born. So he's on, he's he's waiting in his hotel room the night before surgery. He gets uh, this magazine delivered to him. He sees this amputee runner 
that sets in motion the idea uh, that he could do it right to start running he then has to have the surgery go through 16 or 17 months of chemotherapy which we all know we've all been touched by cancer is you know some of the most awful stuff you know uh, in the world and then when he gets through the can to the through the uh the chemo and starts feeling better he starts running i remember when he started running training i was telling you earlier we used to see him run around the area port coquitlam uh training and at that point he was a relatively unknown right before it was announced that he was going to be starting the marathon of, of hope and then it was 19 80 that he actually started the uh, the marathon a whole maybe tell us about uh, about that day and uh, you were there I mean it's amazing 17 hey there's there's a there's a rumor going around that that you were driving the marathon a whole uh, van and you had no driver's license it's not a rumor it's actually out there now Gary and I'm I'm okay with it now I think I'm, I'm I, you know they can't come after me at this yeah. point in fact the OPP was very much aware that I didn't have yeah. my driver's license so um you're surrounded um, by uh, by by police all day long driving this van i've seen these pictures of you as a young kid there like oh look at this and look at the van you guys had i got so uh there's there's daryl guys on the uh on the right here and there's terry's best friend doug on the left with terry in the middle of course holy smokes so you know, <laughs> So you guys, so you guys decide, okay, we're actually going to do this now. Terry's feeling fairly good. He's trained and you want to dip your toe in the Atlantic ocean. So you, you drive all the way out there in order to start or, or how did you, how did that work? Well, that, that's a story in it, in itself. One thing I want to share though, that, you know, that it wasn't, it, the training was Gary was like, it wasn't like Terry just all of a sudden arrived on April 12th right. in, in St. John, um, you know, and started to run. He ran over 5,000 kilometers preparing for the Marathon of Hope. Um, he didn't run a step during the 16 months of chemotherapy. He just wasn't well enough to, to train. But as soon as he finished that last treatment and recovered from it, he, he started to, to train, you know, to start to run. Um, did he run 26 miles that first day? Not even close. He ran just one lap of a dirt track at Hastings Junior Secondary. I know it's been renamed, but that's what the name of it was. That's where I went. And after running that 400 meters, that one quarter of a mile of the, the, the track, he, he started to question himself because it was so painful. It was so difficult to just run one lap. He couldn't fathom what it would be like to run 104 times around that track, the equivalent of a marathon. But whenever he thought of quitting, whenever the pain was intense, he needed only to remember where he was previously you know, going through chemotherapy and seeing the suffering of others. And running was much better and less pain than what he had, not only the pain that he had to endure, but by seeing others. So that's always what kept Terry uh, training and, and running another mile. But um, yeah, April April 12th was the, the start of the, the Marathon of Hope. I, I was not there. I was still at uh, uh, Port Quillam Senior Secondary in my final year of high school. So there was... Um, just the two of them, Doug and Terry, to begin the Marathon of Hope. And getting there, you mentioned, you no, know, they didn't, the van, that van was shipped there. Um, Terry and, and Doug had to to fly there. And it's um, it's unbelievable, the, the story there. And it's just one that, you know, we've been sharing more frequently as we've, we've found out the details in, in the journal. It actually took Terry almost two day, full days to, to fly to, to St. John. And he stopped down in nine, no, 10 cities across the country 
all the the flights were donated, so he had to accept uh, you know whatever he, he received. And he and he he actually stopped down in nine of the ten provinces en route to to St. John. So he was exhausted when he arrived to start the Marathon of Hope. It's it's it was quite a journey just to get there. Crazy. So at what point did you uh, did you um, fly out and, uh, and and participate and start driving that? Uh, how soon after? Well, I, I didn't join up. So Terry, April 12th was the start. I, I joined up on May 31st. And, you know, Terry had, Terry and Doug had planned meticulously for the Marathon of Hope. They had arranged for the van. They had uh, they had gas vouchers. Um, you know, they had running shoes and, and gear from it, Adidas. But what they didn't prepare for was what it would be like living together in a van 24 hours a day. <laughs> so... Um, there, there was, you know, some tension perhaps that developed between the two. And, um, that's the reason why I was, uh, asked to join and be the third member of the Marathon of Home, because if there wasn't, there would have been a Marathon of Home murder and that wouldn't have been, didn't, wouldn't have probably gone over well for, for fundraising. So, um, that's why I was asked to, to be the third member. By the time I arrived, you know, the, the issues between Doug and Terry had been resolved, um, and I knew that. I mean, I knew Doug, and I know Doug today. You know, Doug is just as determined as, as Terry, and you know they were both committed to this to this event, and they were going to be there through thick and thin. Um, and so, you know, I, I was so excited to 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 be part of the Marathon of Hope because guess what? I missed a month of high school, so that, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what that's why I put up my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was when you came. There's three you living in the van then. There was three, and it, when I look back on it now, Gary, it's just amazing to think that there were three of us. It's like a 1978 Ford Econoline van or something. They're they're not real fancy. They're not fancy, and there's not much space. Uh, Doug and I um, had the top bunk, two of us crammed up there, and for some reason, Terry had the bigger bed below. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, I always appreciate it, and, and certainly as momentum built for the Marathon of Hope, you know, I appreciated the donated accommodations uh, to to get away from the tight quarters and also the smell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the odor was, um, um, I think it was intent. I mean, I think it worked quite well because it, it it gave Terry some some distance from the crowds. Um, so I think the, the odor was effective in that in that regard. Is that van? Has that van been uh, been saved somewhere? Is it in the in a museum somewhere now? Well, it's not in a museum, but it has been, it has been, I mean, that's a, 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 quite an interesting story in itself. Um, after, I mean, it was actually loaned to Terry, so it wasn't given to him. So after the Marathon of Hope had to, had to end on September 1st, it was uh, returned to London, Ontario, um, <laughs> to a dealership there, and it was sold. And it was in um, the London area with two families for um, over, uh, over 20, 20 years, actually. And um, Bill Johnson, the son of the second owner who lived in Vancouver, um, ended up with the with the van because his dad gave it to him and he used it as a touring vehicle in his rock band removal. <laughs> and it spent from 2000 to 2007 um, touring North America. And one of the first things that Bill shares when he talks about the van was that it, like Terry was in there, like they could feel his presence. He knew what he had, 
he knew that he had Terry's van and, and because it, it never let them down. It, it, it ended up, it had over 370,000 kilometers on it and it was still running when, um, when we found out about it in 2007. Yeah. And, um, the, the, you know, when I became aware of it, obviously I, I wanted it, but, uh, because Bill had a need for it, he was, he had some high expectations in terms of the return. He wanted a new van. And, you know, this is something that we were, purchasing for the for the family so obviously we had limitations there but over the course of uh 2007 i you know kept in touch and every time i was um en route to vancouver i'd do a bypass because it was look he lived close to the the pe off mcgill and um i could i could tell at one point the insurance was about to come up so i went i approached him again and i guess he was facing a big uh break bill so he uh agreed to 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 sell it to me and uh my first call was uh to uh ford of canada because it was a ford vehicle and um you know that wasn't the best of times if you remember late 2007 2008 for be asked for asking a, a major corp for for something but they didn't take they didn't sit on it very long they agreed to restore it and over the next uh four months from early january 2008 to late april they uh rest restored uh the van and now we have a brand new old 1984 to line van boy isn't that uh wonderful what a tribute that's something that you'll want to keep forever and ever and ever wow congratulations daryl on that i um so daryl so 143 days 26 miles per day once he was uh rolling maybe walk us through a day in the life. What did every day look like? And, uh, you know, obviously there was some, some, some typical, you know, bickering and that sort of stuff. I mean, just talk us through like, you know, uh, sort of from the time you got up to the time you, you finished, what was, how, how, how arduous was this project? It was arduous and it, and the days were long, you know, cause Terry didn't run as fast as an able-bodied person, he, you know, 10 to 12 minute miles were, what he was capable of. He could run faster, but he couldn't run 26 miles every day fast. So we were up every morning at, at 4.30 um, with Terry usually running, starting to run at, at five o'clock. Um, he ran one mile at a time. The van was very important to to the day and, and Terry's running because it, Doug or I would drive the van exactly one mile ahead of Terry and then Terry would run to the van He'd run past the van and then we'd start driving the van and, and mark the second mile. So he played leapfrog with the van all day. Every second mile would be followed by a, a, a break, a sh very short break where Terry would have a drink of water or an orange. Um, he'd run 12 miles in the, in the morning, usually take him to about nine o'clock. And then he would eat as much food as he possibly could because obviously he needed to consume as much uh, calories, carbohydrates as he could. And then he would sleep for the balance of the morning. He'd get up at 12 o'clock, depending on how he felt. He'd run uh, 10, 12, 14 miles in the afternoon, get, getting him to that 26-mile that, uh, daily goal. And then the day wasn't over. I mean, I was, I was exhausted, and I was only sitting, sleeping, you know, driving a van. Um, and I... I you know, that, that's, that's the part I, Gary, I'm always going to struggle with, you know, just how, how did he do it? Right. How did he get up every day, you know, and, and run 42K, 26 miles every day? I don't have an answer to that because at the end of the running portion of the day, um, he still had to share his story. 
of why he was running. So there, and obviously as momentum built for the Marathon of Hope, um, the speaking engagements increased. Um, so he might have two or three opportunities in the evening. His morning break between nine and 12 later on was not an opportunity for him to sleep. He had to speak then. So it was extremely um, exhausting. But somehow, I don't know how he did it. I, that's that's the, the question I'll never be able to answer is how um, he was able to recover and be able to get up the next morning and do it all over again. But he did it, and he did it for 143 days in a row. Yeah, and, and from my understanding, he did it, he did it with a, a really, you know, for the most part, positive attitude, right, where, you know, I think there's a lot of doubt and a lot of, you know, uh, questions around, uh, the ability to continue and i mean certainly the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you know i think from when he started to you know day 143 i mean he had amassed a massive following and certainly that's that's helpful um what you know one thing about terry and i think he was a natural introvert wasn't he daryl but but it was you know it, it's interesting because i always say terry fox right the one thing that you know collected the hearts of millions was his authenticity Right. He wasn't trying to be famous. He was trying to make a difference. He was trying to raise cancer awareness. Maybe let's talk about that. <clears throat> yeah, we should talk about that, Gary, because I, th I think that, you know, um, and thank you for, you know, referencing it and mentioning it, because I think it's so important to, to talk about Terry's personality because uh, he was an introvert. He was humble. Um, he, he quickly deflected any attention given to him to others. And what I find most fascinating, and there's obviously, you know, I'm immersed in the story every day of my life, and I can never get enough of Terry. Like, <laughs> that, it's, it's never ending. But what I find most amazing beyond what he did running-wise is that his personality did not change. You know, the same person that started the Marathon of Hope on April 12th was the same person who stopped on September 1st. With all that fame and fortune, you know, coming his way, he, he 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 never took it in, and you 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 see how that happens with um, sports personalities and and those in the entertainment business, how they change um, and they believe everything that they hear about themselves. Terry never did; he was that same, you know, um, person from small town Poco, um, average person, and 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 that that's the gift, and that's the. <laughs> That's the important part of this story is that, you know, that anyone is capable of being a, a Terry Fox and those giving qualities, you know, of, of the unselfishness of, of Terry, um, you know, the person who raised $24 million in, in 1980 did not have two cents to, to rub together to buy Christmas gifts for his, his family um, that December of 1980. Um, but he was rich in other ways and that's how he saw life. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm reading a Facebook comment here, and there's so many coming on the uh, – when you get a chance afterwards, uh, Daryl, look at the comment section. There's so many in there. But here's one that says, I went to Poco High with Terry and Fred. Terry had Terry was that guy with no attitude, super hardworking guy, and he never wanted accolades for anything, anything to do with himself. What a warrior he was. And that's that's in that's in high school. Right. You know, uh, absolutely incredible. So uh, if you, as, as you look back right now, you know, uh, 40, 41 years later, is there a key lessons? Is there a few, is there a few key lessons that stick with you that you just go like this shaped me? These are the takeaways that, that were that really were impactful and resonated with me as his brother. 
Yeah, you know, I, and we we've touched on them. You know, the 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 fact that uh, you know, I think for me, life is life is short. Like today could be my last day, so I'm always trying to get the most out of the 24 hours of, of a day. Uh, never, I hope never to take life for granted, and I appreciate what I have. You know, I'm thinking of Terry when he when he talked about losing one leg. You know, he saw it as a it gave he he actually saw it as a positive. Like, I mean, he would say in a strange way, I'm almost glad that I was diagnosed with cancer because it gave me a purpose. You know, before I had cancer, Terry would say he was a very selfish individual. The only person he thought of was Terry Fox, you know, making the grade A basketball team, excelling up at SFU. Those were personal goals and accomplishments. He realized that his life was missing something and that was giving back and helping other people. And 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 that's um, that's. You know, that's a, a message that I'm still learning from, you know, um, and it, it's an important one that time, you know, we're not here for very long. And what are we doing to help other people? You know, how are we giving back? Uh, I think that's something that we could always add to our to our lives, especially in the in in what we're going through right now is thinking of our, our friends and our, our neighbors during this this very difficult time. So uh, that's that's I think is the, the the gift and the important message that I carry within me from from Terry of the many that are available. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me just sum those up because they uh, they came off your tongue uh, very very with such ease. Uh, the lessons that I just uh, collected from uh, that last uh, piece was life is short. Never take life for granted and let your challenges give you purpose. Absolutely beautiful, right? That could be summarized. Um, so, so let's carry on. So we're, we're, you know, we're going the days leading up to that, that horrendous day when he had to stop the marathon of hope uh, in Thunder Bay on September 1st. Um, was there something leading up to it? You, could you guys notice something in the van? Was he more tired? Was he run down? Was he complaining with pain? What, what happened? I think, you know, I, Gary, you, you know, September 1st was a day I, you know, I, I have difficulty with, you know, you know, so many years later because it wasn't expected. It, that's not the way I saw it ending. But reflecting back whenever I, you know, I f reflect back on um, the weeks preceding it, you could sense that there was something wrong. Um, you know, Terry obviously had his moments and and who wouldn't based on what he was going right. through on a, on a daily basis. And that's why we were there. That's why the support crew was there. That's why I, as a younger brother, was there to to be there to to be a buffer to uh, during those challenging moments for Terry. But during the th the weeks preceding September first, he became um, very very ir irritable um, and so much more focused. Like he was so obsessed with mileage. Um, you know the the mileage marker we had on the. Um, showing the distance on the van he he it had to be accurate and 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 changed immediately after he ran a mile um he wanted to know how far he'd gone at all times uh, but more importantly he wanted to know how far he still had to get home and that just didn't seem a place to be focusing when you still had two two thousand miles to go so um so we you know in in hindsight it, it'd be great to be able to um have this information now to be able to maybe try and talk to Terry at that time to suggest he um, he may see, he might be wise to see a doctor. But 
knowing Terry, he would have he wouldn't have accepted that anyways. Um, so S September first was 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 quite a sh quite a shock for all of us because again, it wasn't I didn't expect to um, fly back to to BC um, in a you know without Terry, um, and that was really hard. Um, I remember it pretty vividly because I pulled up after what I thought was a routine water break and and Terry wasn't there and and no one knew where he was that was the, the, the strange part and that was very unusual for for three months I knew at any given moment where Terry was and for these brief few moments we we had I, I didn't know by the time I I um, realized and was told that he had asked to go to the hospital and by, by the time I got there it had already been confirmed that the cancer had been had returned and was now in his lungs and it seemed like deja vu it seemed like you know march of 1977 and you know it was terry who had already accepted it and and felt that this would just give more meaning to what he just accomplished and was already thinking about you know and, and plotting and strategizing about how if he could ever get out there and finish the run he would so um, but it, it, um, it's a, it's a terrible day. I don't like to go to September 1st. I, I like to think of September 2nd and every day that's happened since and how we've continued to further Terry's, Terry's dream. That's where I like to keep my, my head if I can. Yeah, it's, uh, just a, a very, very hard conversation to have. We, we appreciate you, uh, sharing that with us. Um, there's been, uh, there's been a lot of amazing work, um, you know, done. There's been a lot of tributes. I know the foundation um, has always shied away from corporate sponsorships. Is that still the case today? Or is that just because you didn't want to obviously water down the message uh, and, and avoid the, the corporate branding opportunities? You wanted to be true to the actual cause as Terry would have wanted it to be. It, that was um, <clears throat> that was important to Terry. Um, he he thought every dollar again was important to to the fight against cancer. He asked for a dollar from every Canadian. I th I think that that's you know was incredible vision on his part to have that focus. So we want to recognize every dollar, um, not just the ones and, and those that are capable of giving more. So that's always been our focus. Um, not to say that we don't have corporate support. We have tons of corporate support and we welcome it. Um, but we're going to treat everyone the same way. That's, uh, that's yeah. was Terry's thinking and that's our thinking, uh, 41 years later. Yeah. I've always been really supportive over the years. I've ran the, uh, I've ran the, uh, the race many times. Now here's an interesting story. The, the first marathon of hope I had just learned that year before to ride a unicycle and I rode my unicycle on the first marathon of hope in the hometown oh. run, I was picked up on national news and the tie-in was one leg, one, one, one wheel, of course. And I didn't think of it that way. I was just a young kid riding my unicycle. I thought it would be kind of cool. So I was in that, uh, that, that, that inaugural, that, that first run ever riding my unicycle. Um, I, David, I'd like you to put, uh, uh, on the screen, uh, the link for anyone listening to this, who wants to uh, make a donation, uh, to, uh, the foundation, just so we know it. Uh, Daryl, I'm going to myself personally donate ten thousand dollars as well. So wow, I that. just as a thank you, right? I, I I won't do it through corporate. I'll keep away from there. But uh, you know, I, I just think it's amazing what you guys do. I think it's amazing as a uh, you know as a family, uh, the siblings being involved. Um, you know, it, it's funny because you know to hear you speak, um, 
you're much very much like your brother. I mean, all accolades are to everyone else and not to you. Sounds to me like you're the type of guy that the only time you take credit for it is when a shit show or a breakdown happens. <laughs> right? You get it all away. And that's a uh, that's a tremendous testament to the individual that uh, that you are. There's the uh, donate button, guys, uh, on the Terry Fox Foundation. Um, please, I encourage you guys. Uh, 41 years later. So, Daryl, I asked you off air. I said, here we are 41 years later, $850 million that has been uh, donated. And I, I asked you, are we winning this war? Is it getting better? Maybe just uh, repeat your answer. Well, I, quickly, yes. Yes, we are. Um, yeah. You know, I, it'd be hard to be involved to the extent that we are as family if we didn't feel we were heading in the right direction. And we are heading in the right direction. You know, people are living longer with with cancer they're not dying of cancer um they're not suffering as as much with with cancer when i uh, you know i i talked about Kerry, terry having 18 or 16 months of chemotherapy he'd have three or four months of of chemotherapy if he was diagnosed with, with osteogenic sarcoma today um there's a very good chance um terry would not have his leg amputated if he was diagnosed with, with both bone cancer today and there's a very good chance he would still be alive so to me that's a exceptionally powerful personally you know i know with every loony and toony we raise today we we can um we are cha changing lives in the future and that's what terry's message was to us back in in 1980. we have a program called the terry's team program and they're cancer survivors and they they they're given a red t-shirt to to symbolize the the the, the journey they've had with, with cancer and the number of red t-shirts every year at a Terry Fox run continues to grow. So that's a statement to, to the fact that we are um, going in the right direction. It's, it's um, Terry knew in, in 1980, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm going to run, try and run across the Canada, the country. I know that I'm, you know, a cure is not going to come potentially as a result of whatever money I raised, but I have to try. And over time, you know, that investment will pay off. And that's exactly what's happened. Terry, Terry knew he had incredible vision. And uh, I look forward to the day that we won't have to host a Terry Fox run. And I'm, I'm confident that day will one day happen. Amen. Amen. You know, I love quotes. I collect quotes. They mean a lot. I have tattooed quotes all over my body. Uh, I guess I'm a bit of a quote junk here, quote nut. Um, I want to read sort of some quotes that uh, Terry coined uh, all those years ago. Uh, we talked about the one already, but I want to go through them because I think that they're so transferable in business and in life. And the first one is I want to try the impossible to show it can be done. Uh, and I think that he uh, certainly lived up to that, uh, you know, just a nondescript, you know, regular family, young man fighting hard, trying to do uh, anything uh, to the best of his ability and, uh, really, truly created a legacy all these years uh, later, a true legacy, not just somebody saying, I want to leave a legacy. He actually did it. And what do you call them? You call them uh, Fox fans or the Foxers, the Terry Foxers. You have a term. Terry Foxers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I, what I, and I, I, you know, I just, it's really important for me to, for you to hear this, but, you know, just the 20 minutes we spoke before we kicked off this call to hear you talk, you know, about the Foxers and about everyone else in the community that's made this happen. You know, I said, I want to thank you. And you said, thanks, but no thanks, Gary. It's not about me. It's about the Foxers, right? And the guys like David Teixeira that have been there for many years and helped put these things on, uh, you, you as much as your brother and the Foxers are as much of an inspiration as uh, Terry was 
all these years later. And I'm a spiritual guy, and I bet you he's looking down on every one of these interviews, and he's he's saying, that's my bro. You know what I mean? I, that's a pretty cool place to be. Um, the next thing I want to uh, read, the next quote, it says, I want to set an example that will never be forgotten. Safe to say he's done that. Any comments? Well, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I I love Terry quotes. I mean, I, I cool. you know, there. I've, how many times have I read them, thought about them over the years? And I, it, it never is. That's that's what's so incredible about the story, Gary. It doesn't over time. It doesn't fade. It's still powerful. It's still ins inspiring. So when you read read, you know, I want to set an example that'll never be forgotten. Yeah. You know. Um, that is exceptionally powerful for someone who's only 21 years old to be saying that it's, it's just amazing. Um, and I, you know, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm so lucky to be in this position. That's why I don't, I, I really, really glad you mentioned, you know, the, uh, I, I don't deserve the only reason why I'm talking to you right now is because I have the same last name. That's it. <laughs> like, you know, you, you mentioned Dave Texera and all the Terry Foxers, they are the reason why the legacy is so vibrant. I'm just a brother who happened to be given this incredible gift of witnessing this, this miracle, you know, in 1980 and am able to talk about it 41 years later. And you give me this platform to do so. So they deserve all the credit for the $850 million. Well, I, love that that song that was, I love that song that was uh, written and I got an escapism right now. Dave will tell me in one second, but that song, uh, he's my brother that uh you know was has been played many times over the over the years in you know many many different um uh, usages but uh, i always associate it with with the the fox family and uh, and 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 terry uh the last quote that he had was uh it's got to keep going without me it was interesting because uh he did this thing and and raised 24 million that first year but for him it was so important for him to say this is not about me this is about cancer research and this is about all of you and please help me you know carry that legacy on uh, again he's certainly done that um any 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 comments on on how terry thought about that yeah, it was, um, you know, it um, it was so important to him. I mean, that, that when he was forced to stop his run, that's how he, you know, he thought. He, he knew the run had to continue without him. So he's already planting the seed that the baton must be shared. It, it better keep going. And it has kept going because Canadians recognize that it should keep, keep going. So, you know, that's a, te a testament to um again terry foxers across the country that have continued this uh this mission and this vision uh of, of funding cancer research so so alive and so vibrant mm, yeah so there's been conversations over the years and i don't know if the fox family is uh or the foundation is supportive of it uh, or not but there's been this whole push last year i know david you were really involved in it in the the fox fiber and there's been a lot of conversations a friend of mine one of our office owners gabe hoffer actually sent me a message yesterday in anticipation and said i'm sick and tired of, of, of waiting for the yvr to be changed to the terry fox airport he goes this trudeau airport and pearson airport what the heck why isn't a terry fox airport and although that might not have been important to terry it is another way to educate and, and to, to build on that legacy. Has there been any any real conversations about either of those initiatives over the years? Well, there's always been conversation, Gary. <laughs> okay. that, that I can I can share. And and you're right. You know, you mentioned that Terry wouldn't 
be pushing for it. And so that's, you know, we think, we try and think like Terry thought that's, that's, he leads us. He's not here, but he's still our, our lead. Um, and he didn't want recognition. Um, now the $5 bill. So, you know, the family's thinking is consistent with Terry's that it's not something we're going to be actively pushing for because Terry wouldn't want it. But because there's a, you know, a, certainly a fundraising opportunity there with it, um, obviously we, we would be delighted if it, it were to happen. But again, we follow Terry's lead. He didn't want recognition. He didn't want buildings named after him. He didn't want awards. And that's what's so fascinating about what's happened over the last 41 years is because the foundation has not been a vehicle to push for these things. They've happened because people out there make it happen. And that's the best way. Rather than have an identity with our network, try and 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 push for recognition, it happens the right way because Canadians out there want to see it happen. And if it happens with the the five dollar bill, if you know the the airport is renamed because there's a push out there because people want it to happen, then then we will obviously um, welcome it um, if it were to happen. But that that's been our approach, and that'll be our approach going forward as well. Yeah, well, listen, I, I, as I said, I've, uh, I've been in many runs over the years, but there's also many years I haven't been in the, in the runs. And you know why, Daryl? I always know they're happening because it's so, you know, large in my hometown, Port Coquitlam. But many years I've gone, oh, my God, I'm too tired and it's raining out, right? And, that, and I look back now after spending this hour with you today and, you know, shamefully, I, I'm very sorry because, you know, when I, when I, when I read Terry's quotes and just try the fact that, you know, I let myself, my mind say no to keep me on the couch because it's raining out and I didn't show up. That's not going to happen again. I'll be on all these runs going forward. It's really important. It's just a great reminder, you know, that guys, we can try and we're capable of so much more. And, you know, even when it hurts, you have to, you know, left foot in front of the right foot and, and push forward. Uh, you, you have been a spectacular guest. Uh, it's just such a privilege. You know what? It's a privilege for me to get to know you because it's funny over all these years we've never had a conversation before today and you know uh yet we what, what, what's what town are you living in now where do you live now i'm out in the whack i'm in chilliwack oh you're in chilliwack you're in the whack okay uh, gary so. i just want to say this is a you know this is a really unusual process to go to get a mortgage go through to get a mortgage but yep. uh anyways uh i hope i'm successful well, we'll take very, very good care of, of you when you're looking for that mortgage. You make sure that you text me uh, personally, and I'll look after that for you. <laughs> you know, I really want to say on behalf of uh, – we have a sponsor that helps us out with this uh, program, uh, First National Financial. Uh, great partners. We just we just love them dearly. They've been so supportive of the broker community. Uh, they've got some of the best staff in the Canadian country. So to all the gang at uh, First Nat, thanks, guys. We love you. We appreciate the good work. Um, and, and to – uh, all of our uh, viewers that 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 tune in, we we've been trying to you know really mix this between sort of personal and impactful uh, you know interviews and and business leaders and authors. But I think today some of the lessons that I've took away are so transferable in business. I feel like uh, this has been unbelievably valuable for all of us, uh, especially me. Uh, and to you, Daryl, and please pass it on to uh, the rest of your family, but to all of the. Uh, you know, sort of foxers out there and all of, of those who have uh, continued supported this initiative and kept it alive 41 years later. Uh, I mean, amen. I, I take my hat off to you. I'm so proud of you guys. And I, I can't possibly thank you enough for the amazing good work that you do. 
Thank you, Gary. Really enjoyed the hour. Gosh, felt like five minutes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it goes good. I'm just going to uh, I'm going to wrap up, guys, with just a couple of uh, promo pieces. Uh, guys, in two weeks, I have uh, my dear friend, Joe Roberts. Joe Roberts uh, went from uh, many, many, many years in the downtown Vancouver East Side. He went from Skid Row heroin user to CEO to uh, pushing a shopping cart across Canada, pushing for change. Uh, he's a wonderful guy with a wonderful story. Uh, looking forward to having Joe. And then, guys, uh, April 19th, I'm actually starting a new series, just CEO to CEO. And I'm going to bring CEOs from all different industries just head on and just learn lessons from the CEOs in businesses. Some are going to be our business. Some are going to be businesses out of the U.S., uh, but we're going to look for their very best practices, what they've done to attract and build the very best companies, their social initiatives, what drives them, how they manage people, how they hire people. So really looking forward. Again, guys, as always, this is not a DLC, MCC, or MA podcast. This is an industry podcast. Anyone who you think should be on this podcast, send them the link, send them the invite. If you have realtors, referral partners, anybody that you would like to be part of this Level Up series, or if you're just one of the thousands of users that are clicking on one of our social media channels that are listening in on these programs, we thank you very much. We welcome every single one of you. Uh, for us, I've always said to a lot of people, I mean, you know, uh, the more you give, the more you get. It's just, you know what, give, give, give unconditionally, help other people get to what they they want and uh, amazing things happen. Karma is a very, very powerful initiative. So uh, with that, I'm gonna wrap up. I'm gonna thank uh, David, my production team, Tara, and everybody else. Uh, this will be uh, uploaded on uh, on Spotify, guys, and wherever else my team uploads these. And one last chance to give Daryl a uh, a salute. Read the book, guys. Daryl, thank you forever. Terry, a legacy, right? And the letters from a lot of powerful people. Can't wait. See you soon. And thanks again, Daryl. Thank you. Thanks.